0: Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric.
1: I'm Micah.
2: And I'm Laura.
0: And today we're opening up the Muggle mailbag to see what listeners have to say about our chapter-by-chapter series so far. It's nice to take this little pause in chapter-by-chapter and see what our listeners think and uh, spend a little more time with these chapters because we don't want to fly through them too fast. I mean, we're not on a fireball after all. We're just (laughs) on a... Nimbus 2000. <laughs> or a clean sweep. Yes. We're almost halfway through book one already. Can you believe that, I guys? Know. We're going too mm-hmm. fast. Should have done one <laughs> chapter at a time. Uh, yeah, I think we're finding the right pace now. Two yeah. chapters, an episode. Yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. a good pace. I think
1: Rowan kept us uh, in order last week, too. He did a really good job.
0: Agree. Yeah, it was really He's fun great. having him on. A little bit of housekeeping before we jump into the mailbag, though. First, on our Patreon this week at patreon.com slash MuggleCast, we'll have a new bonus MuggleCast in which we discuss excerpts from Alan Rickman's diaries. His diaries are being published. This was all above board. You wanted these out there. He had some things to say about filming Harry Potter, many of which are not good. So <laughs> this is going to be a gossipy installment of bonus MuggleCast, I question why all of this is being published because some of this is woof, <laughs> pretty rough. On our Patreon, uh, we release lots of benefits to thank you for supporting us. And speaking of supporting us, Apple podcast users, for just $2.99 a month, you can now receive ad-free MuggleCast and early access to each new episode of the show right within the Apple podcast app. By subscribing to the show, you're supporting us just like our patrons do. Of course, you can pledge to our patron to receive many more benefits. But if you'd prefer to support us through Apple, maybe you don't want to get started with Patreon, no problem. We'll hook you up with no more advertising and you'll get each episode of MuggleCast on Mondays instead of Tuesdays. So just tap into the show in the Apple Podcast app and you'll see the subscribe button. It's like using a time turner. Mucklecast, a whole day early. I know. So yeah, check that out. Okay, so let's get to some Muggle Mail now. And I think, Laura, you're kicking things
2: off. Yeah, so our first email comes from Ronald, who coincidentally shares a name with our favorite Ronald Weasley. So that's that's a nice tie in there. Ron says, Hi, my name is Ron, and I'm a Hufflepuff. I wanted to chime in on Hagrid and why he was sent for Harry. Any other professor would have been held to the fact that the Dursleys could say no, and they would have given the chance. Hagrid doesn't have any concept that no was an option. He made it rather clear Harry was going to go. No choice was really given. I think this same thing happened when Harry was left on the doorstep. Why leave a note? Because for the magic to work, they had to accept him. In person, they would have said no. (laughs) And this would have broken the protection. Dumbledore didn't truly give them a choice. This is why Hagrid was chosen. Mm. That's interesting. I've never thought about it that way. I definitely agree on the point of Dumbledore leaving the letter. With Harry, because leaving an infant on your doorstep is really not much of a choice.
1: Yeah. How do you say no?
2: <laughs> yeah. How do you how do you say no to that? But also, how do you say no to a giant thundering into your cabin on the sea and saying, hey, this kid that you actually hate and that you would prefer not to have in your home, I'm taking him.
3: In other words, Hagrid was just the right amount of unhinged to get the job done. Yeah, Get it unhinged because he bursts down the door. Right. And the door falls off its own. <laughs> oh, yeah, good right. one. I, I
2: was on the same wavelength.
3: <laughs> I always count on you, Laura. In terms of Hagrid, he's a giant security nightmare. Um, and But Dumbledore in this case is like uh sending him out. He's like being able to play his security nightmares like cards. So you need somebody who's going to frighten Vernon Dursley, which is nuts. Because, I mean, any wizard could take him probably, but somebody who can be like physically intimidating a little bit more off the cuff. I think Hagrid was the the very right amount for that. Right. Yeah.
0: And I think what I was saying in the first chapter by chapter was that Hagrid wouldn't have accepted no for an answer either. Like He's going to get the job done on his own terms.
3: Yeah.
1: Right. And it, it's interesting because we talked about whether or not he was the best person for this job, but I'm not sure we came up with any better solutions. And I think that
3: Mm-mm.
0: Ron
1: does a really good job in terms of pointing out why he was best suited for the job. I think Also, we never mentioned one of the most iconic lines in the entire series. Vernon calls Dumbledore the crackpot old fool, and then Hagrid says, never insult Albus Dumbledore in front of me. And I think that just shows you why he was the right person for the job. Clearly, Dumbledore gave him a mission, and he was going to see it through no matter what.
3: Before Harry was Dumbledore's man through and through, we had Hagrid.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
3: Well, and actually our next email ties into this nicely too. This one comes from Reed. She says, hi guys, I'm a relatively new listener and I'm delighted that you are revisiting the books chapter by chapter as it coincidentally coincides with me listening to the Stephen Fry narration of them. I have one comment and then a couple of questions and points for discussion. First, in regards to Hagrid being sent to retrieve Harry on his birthday, a point that wasn't mentioned in your discussion was that Dumbledore may have done that as much for Hagrid as for Harry. I think Dumbledore knew they were likely to become friends, and that Hagrid's childlike simplicity is what Harry would need by way of introduction to the wizarding life. It certainly plays out over the series that Harry becomes an important source of support for Hagrid. Separately, we never really get a sense of the scale of the student body population at Hogwarts, but it must be quite small since all the students can fit on the train and in the Great Hall simultaneously. And in Gryffindor, at least, there are only five boys in the same year as Harry, which begs the question, are there 14 different dormitory rooms in Gryffindor Tower, one for each year and gender? So thank you, Reed, for sending that in. I have always wanted, you know, in any of the media um, that we've seen around the books, a dormitory, like a Gryffindor dormitory that made sense. As far as like even just that simple math there, there would be 14 separate Dormitories, at least, but all we really see is where Harry lives because it's Harry.
2: Right. Do y'all think that um, Gryffindor Tower can expand depending on the student body? I'm just thinking about other times where we've seen the room of requirements expand or contract to accommodate the user's request, thinking about Arthur Weasley's tent. I'm wondering if there's some kind of enchantment on the dormitories to adjust for student body size year after year because it doesn't seem very likely that there would be exactly five boys and five girls in each getting sorted into each house every year.
0: Right, right. Like, they'd have to control the population. They would have
3: to limit... I mean, it just wouldn't work. Unless... Sorry,
2: you can't come to Hogwarts this year, Andrew. There's already five boys. <laughs>
3: right. <laughs> the, the founders didn't account for population growth and inflation and, and all of that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. there's only one bathroom. There's 14 dormitories, but there's only one. <laughs> like, yeah, you know. I think the only other explanation is there's another
0: Hogwarts in England or they get sent abroad. Mm.
2: Didn't Draco almost do that?
3: Go abroad. Yeah. yeah.
2: He talked about almost going to Durmstrang. It was at
3: one point specifically in a year 2000 scholastic chat, asked of J.K. Rowling, how many students are there at Hogwarts? And uh, her reply was that there were a thousand. She said about a thousand. But just doing some quick math here, that boils down to 143 students a year. And if you divide that by four, it's 36 new students per year per house. So there would have to be seven other dormitories, just like Harry's, just for other first years, uh, if that was the case, if that you know number is accurate, so suffice to say, there's actually a lot more students than the ones that it is capable to be written about. I mean, they didn't have the budget.
1: Let's be real on on film; they could, yeah. they they just didn't have the uh, the budget. And as we saw
3: And it would have affected the the pacing to show all of those other students.
1: And, and why? Like what does
0: it add really? I don't I mean, I think the movies I, well, give the impression there's many more students going to Hogwarts than the books say.
1: Yeah, I agree. They just don't have a place to sleep.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Well, I, maybe we'll find out. I bet in the Hogwarts Legacy video game, you know, this open world video game, it's going to be very similar to the movies. There's just a few dormitories. And that's it. Right. There's a lot of holes you can poke in this whole
1: aspect of Hogwarts. This actually ties back nicely, though, to our last chapter by chapter, because when the sorting is going on, we get all of these characters that are mentioned that we never hear about again in the entire Harry Potter series. So,
3: oh, yeah. Like Mandy Brocklehurst.
1: But I do like how Reed brought up the, the Hagrid-Harry connection and how Dumbledore sent Hagrid just as much for Hagrid as he did for Harry, because... Hagrid brings Harry to Privet Drive initially. He takes him away from Privet Drive and Deathly Hallows. And he's really Harry's introduction to the Wizarding World, right? He takes him to Diagon Alley. He's there in Hogsmeade when Harry first arrives at Hogwarts. So there's a lot of firsts for Harry that Hagrid is present for.
2: Yeah. And Hagrid is also somewhat of an outsider, right? So yeah. It, what what better way to make someone else who also feels like an outsider feel welcome than to foster this connection with Hagrid this early on in the series as his introduction?
3: I really would like to give Dumbledore credit for thinking about that <laughs> and thinking that Hagrid and Harry, I don't know that I do, but I would like to because it's very mm-hmm. sweet.
2: Yeah, my jury's out on that too. I don't I don't know if Dumbledore thought about that. <laughs>
1: All right. Uh, our next email comes from Lisa asking about Harry's grandparents. She said, Hi, it's Lisa from Newcastle in Australia. You've probably discussed this already, but on my reread and relisten, thanks, Stephen Fry. So another Stephen Fry listener. Shout out. <laughs> uh, it struck me that all four of Harry gran- Harry's grandparents must have died quite young for them to all be gone before Lily and James died at age 21. How did they die? Was there foul play involved? Did the Evans' death affect the Petunia-Lily soured relationship even more? As a mother of a child about the same age as Harry was when he was orphaned, it really made me think about how hard it must have been for Lily and Petunia as young moms to not have their parents around, and so sad for Dudley and Harry to never meet them. Maybe another reason Petunia wanted to stamp the magic out of Harry. Uh, and Sirius loved James's parents like his own. That grief must have been exponential too. Ah, the thoughts you have when you read read books from your childhood. Thanks for all your amazing content. Thank you, Lisa. And Eric, you have a note here at least about James's parents.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I, I did some research uh, and jury's out on Lily's parents as far as official um, answers. But there is actually an extensive write-up uh, on Harry's entire ancestry via his dad. And it is said that actually James's parents did die um, sometime between when James and Lily were married so they were there for James and Lily's wedding but they never did get to meet Harry and that is because a swift bout of dragon pox actually uh came and 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 unfortunately they succumbed to it but also they were considerably older they had actually already retired uh, from their main jobs when they had James so uh you know he grew up with Fairly older parents, and then they got ill and died before Harry was born. Okay, that was going to be my guess. They were just older. Mm, it's sad. It's sad that Lily and uh, Petunia would have also lost their parents, though.
1: And it's quite possible to the point Lisa raised that it did affect the dynamic between Lily and Petunia. We we know that Petunia even calls out uh, in some of these earlier chapters how um, you know Lily was basically you know the the favorite. Uh, of her parents, and particularly because uh, she was a witch and she did go to Hogwarts. So there's definitely some animosity there, some unresolved issues for for Petunia. But I I have to imagine it it affected how she ultimately grew up and then chooses to raise Dudley.
2: Yeah. And she never got that opportunity to resolve, to your point, Micah, those frustrations with her parents, right? Had her parents lived... Um, you know, to a ripe old age, those opportunities may have come along. They may have been able to bury the hatchet. And Petunia might have been able to let go of some of these sentiments, but she never gets a chance.
1: Right. And, and grandparents are the natural option for somebody like Harry to be yeah. raised by. So I think in this case, J.K. Rowling just needed to eliminate the possibility of Harry going to his grandparents on either
2: side.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Is
2: Neville the only character whose grandparent we see in the <laughs> series? I don't think we see any other grandparents.
3: Everybody dies <laughs> young. I hear some music in the background going, you
2: really live like you're gonna die young.
3: <laughs> but yes, apparently, uh, so I, I did some more digging here just now. And during the chat with Melissa Anelli and Emerson Sparts, uh, yeah, it's confirmed that Lily's parents had a normal muggle death. This next email is from Chase
0: on what happened to Dudley's pigtail. He says, hi, MuggleCast. Fantastic work again this week on Chapter by Chapter. Solid exceeds expectations on the chapter summaries.
2: Oh, we're back to rating. That's
0: generous. Thank you.
2: That True. was very kind. <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> I'm rereading alongside you all and noticed you all didn't really have many thoughts about the repercussions of Dudley's pigtail. Shouldn't Hagrid be charged by the gamut for magic in front of and against a muggle? The Ministry definitely should know about this magic since Harry has the trace on him. Or since Dumbledore is the head of the court, did he just see the case file and laugh it off or blame his old age again? Maybe the Hogwarts rep that gets to give a muggle born their litter is allowed to do a certain amount of magic in front of muggles and this fell within Hagrid's quota. Also, I have always wondered if the Dursleys went to St. Mungo's or a Muggle Hospital. Did Dudley go under anesthesia for this, or was the pigtail vanished to Poop Mountain? <laughs> <laughs> that phrase caught on. Um, way to go, us. All important questions <laughs> that should have been That's our legacy. Answered on Potter No More, in my opinion. Anyway, can't wait for the next episode. You all rock. Well, Chase. First of all, shout out for all the little references to the show throughout this email. Second of all, we actually were planning on discussing this a little more, but we had just run out of time in that episode. But this is why our Muggle Mail episodes are great. A lot of questions here. Yes, if Dumbledore did see the case file, he I'm sure he just would have quietly pushed it aside, given it a little Evanesco and moved on from it because you know he's going to do Hagrid a favor like that for doing Dumbledore a favor in the first place. As for the tail, though, Eric, you have a quote here. Apparently, Rowling did answer this,
3: but I don't buy this. Read us his quote. This, is, this fits perfectly within their character, I think. The answer is, they went to a private hospital where the staff was very discreet and said that a wart had gotten out of control.
0: Okay, a pigtail looks nothing like a wart. I don't buy this for a second. They had to say something. Yeah, well... <laughs> I think what happened is they went to the hospital and then the ministry or Dumbledore, somebody wiped the memories of whoever fixed Dudley's butt. That's the only possible explanation in my mind.
3: I think there are a lot of potentially embarrassing medical conditions that people would go to the hospital for. And then, you know, when asked at check-in what's wrong, they would lie about it slightly um, to save face here. And, you know, nevertheless, the doctor sees what the issue is and corrects it or works on it. I think that that all fits within perfect norm.
0: But humans don't grow pigtails. That doctor would sound the alarm, you know, tell the world that a human has grown a pigtail. Well, <laughs> this is a special. I don't case. think the
2: doctor would be allowed to do that.
0: Oh, no. right. Hmm.
1: The repercussions for Hagrid, though, are pretty severe if he were to be found out, though, because number one, he's not supposed to have a wand, and. He uses it in this instance against a muggle, a child. He doesn't do anything to correct it before he leaves, and I'm just wondering what happens if, in fact, he is found out having done this. I think it isn't it in Olivander's. Olivander questions him whether or not he still even has his wand or is using it, almost as a in a cautionary way. So I would think Hagrid would get in a lot of trouble for this, and also I'm surprised that the. They don't go to St. Mungo's because they do in Goblet of Fire, right? When the Weasley twins give
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Dudley the uh, toffee. Oh, well, they did that in front of a ministry official who had no choice but to uh, cart them off there, I think.
2: You know what it could be? Remember a couple episodes ago when we were thinking about our own headcanon of wizards having normal muggle jobs to kind of infiltrate the muggle space and control the narrative. I wonder if this discreet hospital has some affiliation with St. Mungo's.
3: That's hilarious.
2: And they just take care of issues like this, uh, probably for large sums of money. And they probably don't take insurance, although I don't know exactly how that works in the UK. Uh, with with the national (laughs) health system. But yeah, I I like to think that maybe there's some kind of magical affiliation here. And that's why it's kind of off the books, as it were.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some strings being pulled. I'm not buying that. It was just a doctor looking at this and being like, oh, pigtail. Okay, I'll cut it off. All right, on your (laughs) way. He would at least go to the parents and be like, yo, your child grew a pigtail. Something is seriously wrong. I'm referring you to another doctor. Or like, can cause... we
2: send it for a biopsy? Something. Yeah.
3: Right. Yeah, this no would testing, rock the please. medical world. Yeah. I do feel, I feel slightly bad for Dudley about the whole situation. It wasn't fair.
2: Yeah. I mean, he, he was still a child. I mean, a horrible child, but a child. Mm-hmm. All right. Our next email comes from Thomas, who's getting in touch about Harry's horcrux potentially impacting the Dursleys. Thomas says, Hey, y'all, listen... I inserted that, hey, y'all, that's me. It's uh, Th- <laughs> <laughs> like automatically Wait. how I started greeting.
0: <laughs> there is no hello no, there's, here. There's no hello. I, like, I
2: know. And so like I substituted it. I didn't even intend to do it anyway.
1: Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> Meanwhile, Thomas is from London or Australia. <laughs>
2: I know, Thomas, you're probably yeah. not from the Southern United States and I apologize. <clears throat>
3: Meanwhile, I'm reprogramming the feedback form to insert a (laughs) hey, uh, y'all. I was just thinking this as well. Yeah. Oh,
2: my gosh. Okay. So Thomas says, listening to the new reread, and I heard a theory that the Dursleys are so mean to Harry because he is part Horcrux. After all the years with him, he has turned them evil. The trio became mean when they wore the necklace. This may not explain away all of the behavior, it is more of a slow poison and the people at Hogwarts don't get to get enough of it to be as vitriolic towards him as the Dursleys. There's lots to extrapolate from this theory. I agree. I mean, Harry was in close quarters with them for 11 years.
3: Classic victim blaming. No, I'm <laughs> I'm just wondering if the horcrux that's in Harry was really a full horcrux. I mean, or was kind of like an accidental... Horcrux, like the scar is like there. I think the only person affected by that Horcrux was Harry himself.
2: That's what I wonder too.
3: And, you know, it's really not the same as a full conscious Lord Voldemort living in an encased thing that wishes to grow and get power. Harry's scar at no point tries to take even him over. It's really only a doorway for Voldemort to try and do so. So I think the negative effects, while interesting, you know, to consider a different angle about why the Dursleys are so horrible to Harry, uh, I personally fall back on no, it's just they're just uh abusive and horrible people.
1: Yeah. I I the only counter argument I can see to that is in the first chapter we're introduced to Vernon and he's already very much himself. Harry hasn't been put on his doorstep yet. He's not in his home, and we get a very good sense for who he is as a person. So I don't think that Harry necessarily had any real effect on Vernon, maybe on Petunia, maybe on Dudley, but I don't see any evidence of that really either.
2: And we have to remember too, when Ron and Hermione were impacted by the Horcrux, they became grouchy, but they did not become mentally and physically abusive (laughs) towards each other. And I think that's a key difference too.
0: By the way, exciting news. I have updated the contact form, and now by default, it starts with, hey, y'all. Oh, my God. Somebody remind me to update this. (laughs) Get rid of this in a week or two. But for now, it started with, hey, y'all. Laura, I love it.
2: The next Muggle Mail episode is just going to be like hearing from people from Ireland and Scotland and the emails start with, hey, y'all. Yeah. We
1: should also request that anybody who sends a voice memo or leaves a voicemail also begin with, hey, y'all.
3: Otherwise, we will not accept. We won't even listen to the rest of your voicemail if you don't start it with, hey, y'all.
2: You know what? Chloe's pointing something out that I have to agree with. Hey, y'all is very inclusive.
3: It's a very good. It's possibly the best thing to come out of the South.
2: I agree. Well, apart from biscuits and gravy, mm. can't downplay those.
3: This next message comes from Kristen. She says, listening to MuggleCast 579, where you begin chapter by chapter discussing Petunia. I wanted to combine this with one of your other segments. What if? Ooh, should we play the what if sound effect? Andrew, do you have it ready? There we go. What if Petunia had magical ability and had been accepted at Hogwarts along with Lily? What would she have been like then personality-wise what would Harry's future have looked like with an aunt who is wise to the wizarding world's ways? Do you think she would still be shallow minded and bigoted, maybe towards muggles now? Do you think she would feel superiority or shame? Her personality is legitimate trash in the HP world. I wonder if she would have been better if she did have magical ability or if she still would have exhibited the same negativity and superiority. Would love to hear your take. Have a great day.
0: Yeah, I think she would have been a much happier person. I think the relationship between Petunia and Harry would have been incredible to see. Seeing Petunia be the mentor to Harry as he goes to Hogwarts. I don't know if Petunia would have been an entirely different person, but I I like to think she would have been a much better person, an improved person.
2: She, You know what, though? She's a couple years older than Lily, right? So she would have gone first in this scenario, And I am imagining Petunia with her superiority complex still manifesting that in a way by getting to be a witch first, treating Lily maybe like the annoying younger sister who's following her everywhere. But I think, (laughs) you know, a lot of people grow out of those things, too. So that might have been the uh, possibility for Petunia here. But yeah, she's...
1: Do you think? There's a chance she would have gone dark. Wow.
2: Yeah, actually. Ugh. I mean, she's so And again, like we there's a lot that we don't know. Like is her what came first, the chicken or the egg? Is her predisposed positive perceptions towards normality something that came because she didn't get to go to Hogwarts or is it something that would have existed You know, all the time. I feel like I'm jumbling my words here, but like if Petunia had gone to the wizarding world, would she still have formed biases around what was normal and good and what was weird and bad? I think she still would have found opportunities to do that no matter what environment she was in.
3: Yeah. Possibly.
1: I think Kristen raises a good point, and it's along the lines of what you're saying, Laura, where she's asking. Would she still be shallow minded and bigoted, but maybe towards muggles now?
2: Yeah. 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 Oh, she she almost
1: doesn't
3: about face.
2: Even though she'd be muggle born.
3: Right. Well, I think we can all agree Dudley would've be way different. You think so? <laughs> like a wizard for starters? I mean, well yeah, well, possibly a wizard, there's that too. But just, I think it affects everything. I think it affects her choice in husband. I think that his Petunia, for us at least, is so defined as the person who lost something, who wasn't able to go to Hogwarts. And her bigoted views are kind of like her answer. How she can explain it to herself why she wasn't special is, uh, you know, because they're lesser. The wizards are lesser, and that's how she... So I, I see the inciting event happening when Lily turned eleven. Um, affecting Petunia's entire personality and outlook. But no, any one person in real life is any one thing or one way. Uh, So I do like this whole thought process of what if she still would have turned out kind of, you know, poorly. It would have been great to have
1: seen a sister showdown, Lily and Petunia versus Bellatrix and Narcissa. That would have been great.
2: I don't know who would win that one.
0: (laughs) Well, we don't know how skilled of a witch Petunia would be. So I'm just defaulting to Narcissa
1: and Bellatrix.
2: Well, we know more about them, right? So right. it's the natural choice.
1: All right. Well, Eric, you may uh, get the answer to your question here because Ty wants to know what if Dudley became a wizard? So I might need that sound effect too. Uh, he writes in to say, love the show, listening to you guys, reading book one, preparing for the new chapter by chapter, and had a random thought. Maybe you guys have talked about it before when pondering what-if scenarios. If so, maybe you can direct me to that episode. Don't worry, Ty, we're going to do it right now. Uh, But he was thinking, what if Dudley was also a wizard and received a letter from Hogwarts along with Harry? Would Petunia and Vernon disown him? Would they shift their views? How would that affect Harry at school? So many fun things to think about. Mm -hmm. I think
0: they would be total hypocrites. I think Petunia would be so excited that Dudley is a wizard and got an acceptance
1: letter. Because now she gets to go. (laughs) In a way. Kind of. She gets to
0: take him halfway, I guess. Though she does with Harry, too, and she doesn't seem particularly excited
3: about that. You think Petunia would be a helicopter parent? She would like move to Hogsmeade and (laughs) Dudley would meet her for tea every day?
1: That's an interesting point, though, because... Petunia probably could have been Harry's I don't know, chaperone. Like, I don't know what the right word is. Yeah. Best friend. Yeah, she could have taken him to get his things in Hogsmead. You know, she if there were opportunities to go to Hogwarts, she probably could have finessed her way
3: in. Like parent teacher days.
1: She looked about this entirely the wrong way. Yeah,
3: yeah. But I can just see Dudley befriending like Draco, and then them like basically Dudley uh, remounting his whole Harry like anti Harry gang but at Hogwarts with other wizards and Draco would be there and probably a bunch of other Slytherins because of the books. And um, it wouldn't be pleasant for Harry. I don't think Vernon would have been okay with this, though.
0: Yeah, I wanted to bring this up, too. We have to still keep in mind that Vernon is a huge factor here. We were talking a couple episodes ago. If Vernon wasn't in the picture, then Petunia may have been a different person. We don't know how different, but it seems like his opinions on wizards are deeply affecting how Petunia acts in terms of Harry, in terms of you know the wizarding world on a whole. We know Petunia has her own reasons to be bitter about the wizarding world, but I still think if Vernon wasn't in the picture, things would be different Well, for Petunia.
2: And it, it seems like Petunia really lets Vernon... Drive both physically and metaphorically throughout the whole beginning yes. of this book, um so the choice to do all of these crazy things around the house, like boarding up um the mail slot on the door, driving off in random directions to try and lose whatever trace is on them, so the the letters can keep reaching Harry, the choice to go stay on this you know, rocky island in the middle of a storm, those are all Vernon's choices. And it's kind of, I feel like it's clear when you read it that Petunia and Dudley are not crazy about what's happening, but they're letting it happen because Vernon is the decider, right? So I think that it would have been really hard for Petunia to do a 180 And then to get Vernon to do the same thing.
3: My read on their relationship, I think I said this a few chapters ago, was uh, that Petunia drives actually like Vernon. Vernon is bigoted and Vernon does take steps to further that himself. But I think he defers to her almost on every matter We see that when he's afraid to talk to her coming home from work in chapter one of the books, like he doesn't want to bring it up because it would upset his wife. I think that she's perfectly happy to let him take the family to a hut on the rock or board up the mailbox because it means she's not the one being bigoted. Like, I think she's trying to like maintain a level of deniability about her own horribleness. But I think that if she were to try and get Vernon to come around on Dudley being a wizard, I think it would be problematic because he would look at her and go but wait what you like this whole time you felt totally differently what's going on and whether or not their marriage would survive is another topic entirely
2: yeah <laughs> it would it would definitely be hard on the marriage but we also get to spend quite a bit of time in vernon's head and seeing his perspective in chapter 1 and the way he regards anything slightly abnormal to me implies that he would not be easily won over if his son were to receive a letter from Hogwarts. It would take quite a bit of finesse to get him there, in my opinion. I agree. But he you're right. He doesn't want to upset Petunia. thats That's a big part of it. No,
1: he doesn't. But I think you're definitely right, Laura. You see kind of a almost a fear start to develop particularly in Dudley as they start to experience Vernon kind of losing his mind a little bit over this entire situation <laughs> yeah. and it's you can say that Petunia is the one who's in control initially but i feel like once things start to get real and the letters show up and everything that follows that's when Vernon's like neuroses really start to kick in and he starts to do things that scare even his wife uh, and his child. So I I think he would be gone. I think he would leave if, in fact, Dudley turned out
3: to be a wizard.
2: Yeah, I could see him saying- He's he's not there for it. I could see him saying, you're no son of mine (laughs) and just dipping out.
3: Oh, God. Wow. Okay.
1: (laughs) And then we find out that Dudley's actually Snape's.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Snape's love child.
1: There's probably a fan fiction. Twist.
0: I'm sure there is. So let's get to our next email. This is from Anna. She says, hello, I just have some thoughts on chapters one through three of chapter by chapter. Firstly, I have always thought that the letters from Hogwarts were potentially sent by house elves. I think that would work for a few reasons. They don't need to cook in the summer and need something to fill their time as they don't get holidays. Sorry, Hermione. We know that house elves are able to locate Harry because of Dobby visiting Privet Drive. And I can imagine how Elves being very specific about the address and being determined to do the job, so they send more and more letters. I like that. I like that theory. Also, you discussed how the Wizards found out the news of Voldemort's disappearance in Chapter 1. And actually, we we're told in the Deathly Hallows that Wizards used radio to communicate as Potterwatch is based on the communication from Voldemort's first rise to power. Finally, on a personal note, I'm a pediatrician in the UK and do a lot of work in terms of safeguarding, so I really hope Harry's abuse wouldn't go unnoticed if it happened now. Thank you for the podcast, Anna, who's a Hufflepuff. All well said. Thank you, Anna.
1: Yeah.
2: And thank you for your work.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think further evidence, too, is in Chamber of Secrets, Dobby is responsible for Harry not getting his post, so maybe the house elves do have some kind of control over that.
2: Well, and he even blocks platform nine and three quarters, so Harry and Ron literally cannot get on the train.
3: (laughs) Right. It does kind of ring true of it being elf, not humor, but elf magic that's like the consequences of elf magic having a humorous tint, the way that the letters keep changing addresses and things like that. So I do wonder if he wasn't spied on by some elves.
1: It's also extremely tedious work. And we know that In this series, House Elves Are Treated, the equivalent of slaves.
0: It's tedious, and it's also work that needs to be done quietly. Like, you look at Harry's situation, the letters have to be delivered to a muggle neighborhood, so you have to do that without being noticed.
2: All right, our next email comes from Kyle, um, who's in touch to talk about punishment in schools in the UK. I think this was based on a question I might have asked a couple weeks ago. Uh, Kyle says, hey, everyone, listeners since episode two. Wow, Kyle is an OG, y'all. Nice. Kyle says, loved the chapter by chapter reboot. Just worth noting that in the UK, corporeal punishment wasn't banned from state run schools until 1986 just five years before our story. It continued to be legal in private schools until 1998. Remember Marge asking to make sure they use the cane at St. Brutus's? It was not uncommon for prefects to cane or swat with leather misbehaving students at this time in private schools. As for punishment in the home, it still isn't explicitly illegal in the UK and is still fairly accepted. That makes the visible neglect quite a bit harder to prove as abuse. The UK also has no duty to report or mandatory reporter laws for educators. Thanks for everything you do, and I massively appreciate all the adult lens discussion of Harry's childhood. Well, this is great perspective and explains a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah, you, it sure does.
2: Thank you for getting in touch.
0: So those are our chapter by chapter emails. And now we
3: have some other Muggle mail. This one comes from Jerry and it's about love potions. Hey, y'all. 65 and I, I inserted that uh, 65 <laughs> year old Hufflepuff HP fan since Prisoner of Azkaban was published. Oh, that's real cool. In response to the comments about... Females being the only major users of love potions or other forms of extorted love, quote, quote, in the HP world, what about the Lestrange who forces Lorena Kama to leave her husband and child to live with him and produce Lita in Fantastic Beasts? It seems he used the Imperious Curse rather than a love potion, but the result was much the same, and it was a man doing it. The end result. Lita seems to show that a child born of a forced relationship, like Tom Riddle, the younger, may well be damaged, but can make choices to try and be good. Leta might have acted in a way that resulted in the death of her baby brother, but that was not her intent, and he might well have died anyway. Other than that, she seems to have tried to avoid the dark side, or Theseus and Newt wouldn't have both cared for her. That's a great point, Jerry a yeah, really is, great point.
2: It is and it's it's interesting to see depictions of this in the wizarding world uh kind of evolve over time. When we talked about love potions, I think we were talking specifically about the books, but this could be an example of wizarding world as a franchise trying to evolve on topics of diversity and inclusion And making sure that we're not stereotyping people on the basis of race and gender, uh, which is a good thing. Um, But it is interesting to me that if Lita's father uses the Imperius curse, that something different results with her as a person than would have resulted potentially from her being conceived of via love potion. Or is the Mm. is the the takeaway here just that people who are conceived without consent are just doomed in one way or another? Is that what we're supposed to believe?
3: Under this writing, yes, yeah, Uh, (laughs) uh, it seems that way. But it's definitely, I think the issue comes with that you know now famous sort of answer that Lord Voldemort couldn't love even if he wanted to because of the love potion. I think that that while is like a good zing and makes you feel certain things hearing that I think it undercuts the potential for Voldemort to be seen as somebody who just chose to be evil and could have not and so I would go back to that decision in the writing as sort of being the the point of no return for other characters now we're seeing like Lita um, who also were born in similar circumstances but who changed to be good like I don't know why Voldemort should be special as far as all that goes
2: because he's the main protagonist of the core seven books.
3: The main antagonist? Yeah. Oh, don't, yeah, yeah. Excuse me. Don't make him, uh, you know, so... He's a
2: hugger. He's a hugger. He, he's yeah. a
3: hugger. Yeah.
0: We've spoken before about the newer works and writing kind of improving some of the criticisms we've had in the past. See, the love potion example. And this is one of my favorite examples of how... The newer works are improving the original story. Yeah. Featuring a Hufflepuff in Fantastic Beasts or putting Albus Severus in Slytherin. Like these things are kind of just improving the overall health of the wizarding world, if you ask me, filling in some gaps, some disappointments here and there.
2: Yeah. It's just, I mean, what's disappointing about it though is that work like this was done to try and improve and kind of future proof wizarding world for the 21st century. But the story left so much to be desired that we're not (laughs) going to get any more of that probably Mm -hmm. at least in, in the fantastic beasts world. So it, it just kind of feels like they, they had a lot of really positive changes in mind but maybe didn't have a strong enough story to support this franchise and the ability to continue expanding the tent,
0: uh, yeah, really, yeah. Of,
2: of who all can be a wizard and who all is capable of what.
1: There will be more opportunities, though.
2: Yeah, there will. <laughs> Max that! <laughs> it
1: it seems like, though, there, there just wasn't the opportunity to be able to tell Lita's story more because even in in as much as how she feels about herself, because doesn't she say to Newt, you've never met a beast you couldn't love.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: that t- tells you a lot about how she thinks of herself. And I wonder if this ties back to any of, you know, the email that that Jerry sent in here. The only thing that I kind of disagree with is the last point that Theses or Newt wouldn't have both cared for her because that then puts the onus on them as opposed to to her. I, so I I just, I don't know about that part of it. I st- I still think they could have cared for her regardless.
2: Especially Newt. Theseus seems a little more buttoned up to me. And I, I could see him not even wanting to engage with someone that he perceived to be bad. Uh, whereas I can see Newt taking a more nuanced approach <laughs> to it and wanting to kind of crack that exterior and kind of figure out um more about the person so i i could see him leading with some empathy there
1: all right well our next email comes from rachel who has a question about the elder wand she says hey muggle cast not hey y'all but hey muggle cast i've been playing catch up from the last month or two and on episode 569 y'all are talking about burning questions from book seven Y'all talk about how Harry should have kept the Elder Wand. These are actually in here. I'm not making this up. Harry should have kept (laughs) the Elder Wand instead of putting it back in Dumbledore's grave. If Harry had kept it in Cursed Child, he would have gone back in time with it to when he was a baby. At that time, Dumbledore was the owner of the wand. I was wondering, what if the owner of the wand went back in time and dueled the previous owner of the wand? What would happen? (laughs) The same wand <laughs> dueling itself with two true owners—just the thought. Keep up the good work. I love listening for the past couple of years.
2: Oh, this is a good question. I wonder if the same rules apply to wands. You know, we hear when it when it comes to traveling back in time using the time turner, you're supposed to stay discreet. You're not supposed to be seen. Right. Um, which is already a problem for adult Harry going back in time to when he was baby Harry. Um, I wonder if the same is true for wands, that the same wand would not be able to fight itself or something would go terribly wrong if you tried. Seems like a recipe for disaster.
0: Yeah, this is why we don't mess with time travel.
1: Also, why would Harry duel Dumbledore? That would (laughs) be an odd matchup. Revenge, much overdue.
2: (laughs) He's like, "Why weren't you my parents' secret keeper? You liar. Why didn't why didn't you raise me?" Yeah.
1: I actually watched that last night, Andrew. I thought of you. Oh, the Sorcerer's Stone movie? Oh. I was missing the the part that came before it, though. I was oh. expecting that in the movie and it never happened.
0: Hey, trust me. No. Trust me. Oh, trust me, please. Okay, this next email actually kind of ties into something we were talking about earlier in regards to Vernon and Petunia. This is from Katie. On Narcissa Malfoy. Hello, I loved your discussion of indefensible and interesting characters. I wanted to add an angle to Narcissa that I think was overlooked. To me, the Malfoy family represents the old fashioned and traditional family dynamic. The husband is the head of the household and guides the family. Narcissa would be the dutiful wife that is responsible for keeping house and raising the children in the view that her husband says is best. Although we know she did advocate for Draco, she would otherwise be expected to be 100% supportive of her husband, his wishes, and his endeavors, as that is what a good wife should do. We know she carries the same prejudice as Lucius, but we never know if they're on the same level. I would also question how much she actually knows about her husband's daily business beyond him being a powerful player. Then when Lucius goes to Azkaban, she and Draco are thrust into a new world they only barely knew about, all while Draco is also now suddenly the man of the house. I think both of their arcs start to shift in this time, but curve at different intervals throughout the remainder of the story. All of this to say, she likely hasn't been her own person for a long time, and only in desperation does she do something to protect her son, Unbreakable vow and Saving Harry. As a mother myself, I respect her love for her child and the desire to protect him, but I also pity Narcissa for allowing herself to be such a follower. But it's also what makes her so fascinating to me. Love the discussions. Please keep up the great work. Katie King, a Ravenclaw. So yeah, getting back to what I was saying before reading this email,
3: this is describing the Petunia Vernon dynamic as well, if you ask Mm -hmm. me. That's interesting. I think of Narcissa as being like uh, a person who enjoys the luxury that Their union with their spouse has uh, attained them. Yeah, the wealth. Yeah, the wealth. And social network, maybe. They have like designer rugs, you know, (laughs) in in the fur coats, that kind of a thing. And at least that's Harry's impression at the Quidditch World Cup. Uh, I think he says to Draco that, you know, your mom looks like she has dung up her nose or something because she's always just too good for the world. Um, So there's a possibility that there was a lot of like comfort in, you know, her husband bringing home the bacon, um, and not so many scruples as, as to what it meant that they were turning into. But when Lucius is, uh, carted off to Azkaban, things do change and her, you know, social status is not as protected as it was once before. So you do see her, uh, lashing out or having to come to terms with sort of their newfound status. And also, you know, she kind of clutches closer to what's hers, um, including her son.
2: Yeah, we have to remember what Sirius says too in Order of the Phoenix. The world is not divided into good people and Death Eaters. There are a lot of Death Eater sympathizers who themselves are not Death Eaters. And I think that we can look at Narcissa's relationship with her sisters too, right? Bellatrix is obviously the more overtly extreme of the sisters but Narcissa is someone who is happy to follow along insofar as it benefits her. The second that it no longer benefits her and she becomes a target for this movement that she's followed all these years, she's happy to... Uh, kind of turncoat and make sure her son survives, which I agree is commendable. But she is representative of the kind of person. And you can look at historical events um, to find examples, real life examples of people like this, who are all for a movement until that movement is no longer advantageous for them. And I think that's Narcissa.
1: Yeah, and and it's important to remember, going off your point, Laura, where she comes from too. She's she's part of a family that is very much, you know, one of those old wizarding families. Mm-hmm. And she marries into another old wizarding family. So a lot of what we see from her could be based on how she was raised.
2: Agreed. All right. Our next email comes from Sherry, who is writing about Lupin. Sherry says, Hi, MuggleCast. I despise Lupin. To me, (gasps) as a blind and disabled person, I thought Lupin could be a positive representation of disability. He was a huge disappointment. I remember all the fanfics after book three and then after book five had Lupin stepping up and practically becoming another father figure to Harry, and it didn't happen. Lupin was pretty much gone after Book 3, with a brief entrance at the beginning and end of 5, and then end of 6, and then his horrible behavior in Deathly Hallows. His, "'Woe is me, I'm a bad werewolf, unworthy of acceptance by normal society, self-pitying attitude was disgusting. It made me feel ashamed of him.'" And then when he wanted to abandon his wife, and unborn child, claiming James would have wanted that, I'm with Harry. I don't believe James would have wanted Lupin to abandon his wife and child. His behavior is cowardly and extreme. There's no positive way to spin it. If his child would have been a werewolf, which seems ludicrous when you remember that you have to be bitten to become one, then he should have been ready to stay with his wife and be prepared to help his child if the worst happened. It seems I'm the only Lupin despiser in the world. If you ever do have a Lupin-focused episode, I'd love to be on to be the voice of anti-Lupin people. <laughs> oh, this is oh a great email. Gosh. So I have to, so Sherry, when it comes to the representation of Lupin in book seven, I agree. I remember when we talked about this, I had so many problems with it and I agree. There's no way that you can positively spin his suggestion that he go camping with the trio and abandon his pregnant wife.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we were shaming Lupin for that. And I totally Mm -hmm. understand where you're coming from, Sherry. You want positive representation of a disability in Harry Potter, and you didn't get it with him because he's being weak and making very bad choices. So I see your frustration. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting angle that I really hadn't thought of before. Because there's lots of reasons to love Lupin too, as we've discussed over the years.
3: I tend to black out or blot out sort of the second half trajectory of Lupin's character. It is important, but I always think that like it just didn't happen. Like it's not canon to me. Um, But, you know, I think what we really could have used because the character was done, I think, a disservice in the writing. I was talking about this email with uh, Meg last night and she said, you know what we needed? really, at some point, was a Lupin's Tale chapter, um, kind of like how he got Hagrid's Tale. But to hear Lupin's side of just where the heck he was in book five, book six, how things were going, he you know, ostensibly was working with the werewolves to get them to not join Voldemort's side. How is that going? What is that like? I think literally anything that comes close to the level of detail of what Hagrid was up to, which is... Not as consequential to the plot, uh, I think, was owed, uh, especially due to the fact that Lupin is such an important character both to Harry and you know throughout the course of Book Three, and we just never got it. He's he's kind of sidelined and shoved into the back of these books, and I don't think it's uh, fair because. When he was with Harry, when he was actively engaging with Harry and his well-being, uh, he had the potential to be the best character in the whole series.
2: I think it's you know also potentially a commentary on absent fathers. Um, you know, when you think about the choices that Lupin has to make, he has no, uh, there's no limit to his bravery when it comes to advocating against death eaters against Voldemort but it seems like he gets cold feet when there's a baby in the picture which is very interesting and i think there's some real life parallels that we can draw there around people not having fear over making certain big life changes but as soon as there's a pregnancy as soon as there's a child in the picture then it all becomes more complicated and they can sometimes get scared. I'm not a parent, so there's probably some perspective that I am lacking here. But I would be interested to hear from from people who are parents on this nuance, um, because it could help us unlock a little more context about what happened here with Lupin. I think that just enriches the discussion.
1: Yeah, and you know, I know I've said many times, Lupin is one of my favorite characters, and you know, it makes you think when you get an email like this from Sherry because there are things about him that we don't often talk about and I think she does a really good job positioning them but i i don't know that there is a character that you know kind of goes off in the way that Lupin does you know, after kind of the book three introduction, like we're so endeared to him as a character. Maybe Dumbledore is another good example because we we were meant to have such high expectations of him as a character throughout pretty much the entire series up until Deathly Hallows. And then it's kind of like the wool gets pulled off our eyes and we see him for who he truly is. Um, but I don't know if it's the same with Lupin. Like, I I don't know. We, maybe we do need to do an episode on, on him uh, at yeah, some I point in the so. future.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Unanswered questions about Lupin.
0: Well, I'm sure once we get to Prisoner of Azkaban in our chapter by chapter series, we'll be spending a lot of time with Lupin
1: as well, discussing Lupin. I'm sure I we'll mean, say good things about him at that point.
0: Though.
3: <laughs> I was going to say, sorry, Sherry, for si- the first 16 chapters are going to be very praising of him. Well, we'll try to, we'll we'll keep this email and the later context in mind as we're discussing him. Yeah. He does, he does enable a lot of uh, Sirius and James's negative antics uh, because he just wants to be loved and in, in friendship uh, with these people. So that's not cool. All right. Moving on in our extensive mailbag we have in this email from Maddie. She says, hi, MuggleCast. I have really wanted to email you about this for a while, but I'm just now actually doing it. Might be kind of controversial, but here we go. I really think Dumbledore should be a Slytherin. The way he manipulates everyone for the greater good, I think, is a very Slytherin thing to do. Also, when he was sorted was before he started suppressing his ambition for power, another Slytherin quality. It would also be great for Slytherin overall to have a mostly good character in it. We wouldn't hate Slytherin as much. And when Dumbledore says we sort too soon, he could mean that he thinks he should be in
0: Slytherin.
3: oh, oh, That's kind of reaching, but it is a possibility. Anyway, thanks for reading this. Love the podcast.
0: Well, well Andrew,
3: as a Slytherin, as our resident Slytherin, yes, what do you think? as
0: the Slytherin here, I absolutely agree with this idea. I would love to have Dumbledore in Slytherin House. I think it's well-reasoned. And I think I wanted to bring this up last week when we were talking about the sorting. There should be an opportunity to resort. Maybe year three or year four. You apply. Sorting hat goes on your head again. He takes another look. I think there should be an opportunity to be resorted because you're growing up pretty quick in Hogwarts and it's unfair to be sorted into a house seconds into stepping into the school for the first time, not knowing how you're going to be sorted, by the way. So I um Yeah, I'm all for this. And Dumbledore, we would be more than happy to have you.
2: I could see Dumbledore being a hat stall. Yeah. Similar to Harry. Yeah. I could see him choosing to be in Gryffindor.
3: I could see him as a Ravenclaw also for Mm -hmm. all the heady work that he's done. You know what? I think his, my new headcanon is that Dumbledore's hat stalliness and his house um, percentages are just like Rowan's uh, last week. 67% uh, Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff and, or Ravenclaw, Gryffindor and Slytherin and definitely not Hufflepuff.
1: All right. Our last email comes from Dylan. He says, I've been doing a reread recently of the books, and I had a thought that never crossed my mind until now. Why the hell was Dobby asked to be part of the Order of the Phoenix? I mean, he can do absolutely <laughs> brilliant magic, and he is about as loyal a character as any in the series. I don't think anyone could argue that he wasn't more worthy than Mundungus. And Dobby definitely would not have abandoned Mad-Eye in a tense situation.
0: I wonder what Hermione would think of this, putting an elf into a feud between wizards. I'm not sure she would be a huge fan of it. It is a cool idea, though. Diversity.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, it also, it speaks to, again, we've discussed this before, Hermione's heart is in the right place, but sometimes when she talks about house elves, it's very clear that she thinks that they want things that maybe they don't want. She assigns a value to what she thinks House Elves should want. And I could see her in this case saying, well, this is abuse. We can't put, put him in this circumstance. But what if Dobby really wanted to be in the Order of the Phoenix? I think he would be. I think oh, he would
1: be all about it.
2: I think he would burst into tears if he was asked to join the Order.
1: Being asked. Mm. Yeah. And when I said diversity though, this is if you look back at Order of the Phoenix, right? The the fountain that kind of comes together to defend
2: mm-hmm.
1: um what's going on in the atrium, right? Like we see that materialize over the course of the last few books. And there's this expectation that, you know, the house elves are gonna join the fight, the centaurs are gonna join the fight, the goblins are gonna join, you know. And I think what better way to do that than to allow all of them if they wanted to to join something like the Order of the Phoenix,
2: because even good wizards and good mm. people have unconscious a bias, bias. Yeah. yeah, it's really messed up.
3: I mean, I think that uh, Dobby could take a wizard in a fight uh, yeah. if he were so inclined.
2: I mean, look at what he does, you know, right before his death in book seven. He's very crafty.
1: Is it fair to say, though, that he does kind of unofficially join the Order? Because he is working with Aberforth.
2: Yeah. And Aberforth
1: is part of the Order.
2: I think that Aberforth and and others are happy to use Dobby. But he doesn't get his official like Order of the Phoenix member card.
1: He's got a portrait in the hog's head now.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that is Muggle Mail. Next week on the show, we will be discussing chapters 9 and 10 of Sorcerer's Stone, which are the Midnight Duel and Halloween. Perfect timing with Halloween approaching. Oh! If you have any feedback about today's Muggle Mail or next week's chapters, you can send an owl to MuggleCast at gmail.com or use the new and improved contact form on (laughs) MuggleCast.com to send a voice message. Hey, y'all. To send a voice But no Laura You think like We're teasing you We're really not Like I loved that moment That was great
2: Oh I love it too And I mean Our emails are just They're all about to feel Like 20% friendlier (laughs) Um, which i'm I'm really looking forward to.
0: I can't wait to see how many people actually keep that versus how many people delete it. Oh, you gave them the <laughs> option to remove it from the contact form? Oh,
2: well, yeah, I mean, it's still,
0: you
3: know, it's still in the form, okay, okay. okay.
2: Yeah, I mean, look at this. Hey, y'all, poop Mountain.
3: We're trendsetters here. We have to develop next year's stickers for the Collector's Club. So, the, Oh, yeah. Just one that says, hey, y'all. And hey,
2: y'all. Poop <laughs> oh,
1: God. There needs to be a Poop Mountain sticker. That
0: one I will not put on my water bottle. <laughs> to send a voice message. Oh, and by the way, patrons, the wands and the uh, Collector's Club stuff should be going out very soon. Uh, so we can't wait to see those hitting your doorsteps. To send a voice message to the show, record it using the Voice Memo app on your phone and then email us that file or use our phone number, which is 1920 3Muggle. That's 1920 368 4453. And now it's time for some quizage.
3: All right, everybody, here it is. The hardest question I think we've asked to date. So hard that it even stumped me and one of our. If it weren't for one of our people writing in, I would have been confused and gotten it wrong. The question is, according to book one, if you're in the Great Hall facing the staff table from left to right, what is the order in which the houses are seated? Well, the correct answer. And here it is from left to right. If you're facing the staff table, it goes Hufflepuff, Slytherin, Ravenclaw, and then Gryffindor. Oh, wow. On page 119 of book one, Harry talks about each of the tables as students are being sorted, you know, Hufflepuff's on the far right, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But three pages earlier on page 116, it is said that the students are actually put up at the front of the great hall facing their fellow students. So their backs are turned towards the staff table. So everything Harry recounts is actually inverted and backwards in addition to the tables already not being anything like the movie. So this was a super, super difficult Quizzitch question and uh, only eight people got it right and they were, congratulations, for a thousand quizage points, Duval Ravenclaw, Rabbit Out of the Sorting Hat, Jua Shmua, Bort Voldemort, Micah's Not My Real Dad, Elizabeth Kay, Diplomat Snail, and Quizzical Yet Quickly Querulous Cat. And Quizzical Yet Quickly Querulous Cat was a person who uh, reiterated that these students are actually facing backwards versus how they are in the movie. House points to you for saying that name so well, too, Eric. That sounds like a tongue twister. It's Quizzical Yet Quickly querulous Cat. Congratulations to those who submitted, and thanks to everyone for trying. Next week's Quizzit question... In one of their very first History of Magic classes, which two famous wizards do the students in Harry's class get mixed up? That one's a little bit, little bit easier. Submit your answer to us via the Quizitch form on MuggleCast.com. You can click uh, Quizitch on the main nav or go to MuggleCast.com slash don't
0: forget that coming up on bonus MuggleCast on our Patreon this week, we're going to be discussing Alan Rickman's diary entries about filming Harry Potter, many of which were pretty critical. And it sounds like he didn't want to be there through the entire series. Kind of a bummer. So we'll talk about this and the shade he was throwing at a lot of the cast and crew. I think he's just a man, Andrew. I think he's just a guy. <laughs> we'll discuss it at Patreon.com MuggleCast this week. Also, make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. New episodes are released every Tuesday and leave us a review if they allow you to. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric.
1: I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye, y'all.